Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and unfortunately, Ron is out of town this week. Ron, we miss you a ton. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And as we're talking about Mother's Day, I don't want to forget the most awesome woman in the world, my wife, Erin. Happy Mother's Day, baby. I love you a ton. And also, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I'm sure you guys have all heard the news. The U.S. finally got Osama bin Laden this past week. There's been a whole range of different emotions concerning this. Some people are thrilled. Some people are excited. Some people can't believe people would be thrilled and excited about somebody dying. And all those different perspectives have validity. And so I didn't want to focus on this issue too much this week, but I thought there's no way that we could not discuss it since it's such a big thing that's in the news. So anyway, wherever you're coming from, I think the main point, at least from a Christian perspective or a Christian worldview perspective, is that a government exists mostly to protect its citizens and to administer justice. Those are some of the primary jobs of a government in the first place. You can read about that in Romans 13.4. So in one sense, this is the very job of a government, to protect its citizens and to administer justice. So from that perspective, this is very good news. On the flip side of the coin, we should never be glad for someone's death. So the point here is not that anyone should be glad that another human being died. The real issue is that we should be glad that justice has been upheld and that lives in the future have been protected. So those are good things. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament has a whole lot to say about this issue of justice. In the book of Proverbs, it says, He who pursues evil goes to his death. That is obviously the case in this situation. This man was an evil man. He lived his life pursuing evil, and in the end, he went to his own death as a result of it. Proverbs also tells us that the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, and that the cords of his sin hold him fast. We're also told that there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. So when we think about this case, this was a man that had hands that shed innocent blood. He had a heart that devised wicked schemes, and he was quick to rush into evil. All those things are things the Lord hates. Proverbs also tells us that what the wicked dreads will overtake him, what the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. The righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain in the land. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. That is exactly what happened in this case. Justice was done. And when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous and to those that don't have anything to fear, but it brings terror to evildoers. The book of Proverbs also tells us, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. And that's the main deal here, is if somebody lives their life to do evil and to further evil, they do not have anything to look forward to other than justice. But for all of us that long for peace and that long for righteousness and goodness in our land, we have joy to look forward to, and we have a hope that wickedness will be overtaken and that justice will be served in our lifetimes. So as we think about this issue and the fact that Osama bin Laden was killed, I agree with those of you that say we should never rejoice in another human being's death. 
That is 100% a great way to put it. We should not rejoice that, that another person, that another human being died. On the flip side of that same coin, though, we should also rejoice that justice has been done and that future lives have been protected. So on that topic, though, of current events and news and things that are happening in the world, I thought it'd be good to talk today about what the Bible says about some of those issues. So this will be an interesting discussion. So when you turn on the news, what do you see? Is this world getting better or worse? I think many of us would say it's getting a lot worse every single day. I turn on the news, and it looks like it's worse than it was yesterday. Things don't seem to be getting a whole lot better. They do seem to be getting a whole lot worse. Well, Scripture tells us that that'll be the case. The further and further we get to the end of time, Scripture says the world will be getting worse and worse and worse, more violent and more dangerous. So where is the world now and where is it going? Some people are passionate about believing that the end times are already here and that we're in the very last days. I guess we can't know that for certain. Scripture seems to point to a lot of different signs that indicate that we are approaching those days. In fact, Jesus' disciples asked him when the end would come, and Jesus gave them numerous signs. And you can look in Matthew 24, for example, and see several of those. And he even told them, see, I have told you ahead of time so that they would know when those things were coming. Other places that talk about the end times in the Bible are Daniel 9 through 12, Isaiah 13, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and the entire book of Revelation. So where are things at and where are they going? Well, God's word tells us that people will be happily ignorant in the last days. Sounds pretty familiar today. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness but deny its power. They are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. That sounds a whole lot like our world today. So what should we do about it? Well, we shouldn't just freak out. We shouldn't lose our minds or anything like that. But we should keep watch. We should understand and we should be ready. That's what scripture tells us. And finally, and most importantly, we should trust in the Lord with all our heart. So as far as nations and politics go, where are we at? Right now, we're looking at unparalleled globalization. The political climate is extremely peculiar, both in the United States and across the world. There's been a ton of polarization. There's a resurgence of socialism and communism. Dictatorships are prevalent across the globe. There's a global secular worldview that is literally being pushed regardless of where people are coming from. And there is uncertainty everywhere. Just think of the uncertainty in the Middle East. And I'm not criticizing what's been going on there. Some of the desire for freedom among the young people there is phenomenal, and it's a wonderful thing. But no matter how you look at it, across this planet, there's tremendous uncertainty. And nobody feels secure or at peace. It seems like no matter where you look, there is chaos. That's exactly what scripture said would be the case. Scripture tells us that in the end, nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. Eventually, the Antichrist will establish a one world government and a new world order. Some of the developments that are going on in our world today can be kind of scary and they can leave us feeling quite vulnerable. Well, I want to encourage you as you think about the political climate of both our country and the world and the different things that are happening in nations around the world, 
exercise your freedoms, pray for your leaders, take a stand for the right issues and for what you value, vote your faith, but recognize that our hope isn't just in what happens in the next election. And I think on a side note, too many Christians have gotten way too focused on politics. And again, hear me out. I'm not saying that politics are wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote our conscience or our faith. I'm just saying that that should not be the most important thing to us, but rather love should be the most important thing. Remember, the people of Jesus' day sought a political savior in the Messiah. And when Jesus came, they didn't even recognize him because he wasn't this political Messiah that they had been looking for. And sometimes we can fall into that same trap of thinking the only answers lie with politicians. And that results in me not living the life I'm supposed to live today. That results in me not loving my neighbor the way I should today. So when we look at all this chaos and when we look at all that's happening around the world and all the insecurity and all the fear, the main point again is trust in the Lord with all your heart. So peace and security, what's happening about peace? We all look for peace and we all desire peace and we all want to strive for peace. But what is happening around the world? Well, there are wars and rumors of wars, just like Jesus promised. Nations are going to war with other nations, and even organizations like Al-Qaeda are going to war with nations. And there is violence on a national level like never before in history. God told us that in his word. The Bible tells us that in the end there will be wars, rumors of wars, great warfare becoming so fierce that at one point there will be a lake of blood several feet deep and 200 miles long. And finally, there will be this final war called Armageddon. So if you think about all these things, it's bad now, and it's probably going to get worse the further we get towards the end. The point is humans are selfish, and it's kind of a natural um, outflow of human nature to fight for its own purposes. And that's what we see going on all around us. Does God want that? Absolutely not. No one wants the the wars and the chaos and the pain and the suffering that we see around us. But that's what's happening. And it's not necessarily going to get better overnight. Matthew 24, 6 tells us not to be alarmed. That's key. Because when we're hearing all these types of things, it's almost impossible not to get alarmed. But the Bible tells us don't be alarmed. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the key. So what about the environment? Before coming on campus as a college minister, before going into full-time ministry, I was the air quality specialist for the Southern Ute Indian Tribe, and I loved my job with the Southern Utes. Uh, If any of you are listening, those are some of the happiest years of my life, and it was one of the greatest places I've ever worked, and I really missed the office there. But I was the air quality specialist, and my job was monitoring air pollution. And my background is in chemistry. I think we've stated that on the show before. But it was a lot of fun doing that job. And I am so thankful for the environmental movement in the United States that has led to the clean air and the clean water and the preserved wilderness that we have in our country right now. I've traveled all over the world and have not seen those wonderful resources almost anywhere like they are here in this country. So those are great things. Not to say we're all there yet. We definitely have a lot of room to grow in the area of the environment here in our country. But where are we at globally? Pollution, air, water pollution, all sorts of different types of pollution, global warming. Now, whether you believe in global warming or not, and I think there are great arguments on both ends, in the end times, the Bible tells us there will be pretty crazy global warming of a sort. We'll get to that in a minute. 
there's resource scarcity. As our population is exploding, there are not enough resources for all the different countries that need them. There's been a tremendous loss of nature. Places like the Amazon rainforest are being wiped off the planet on a daily basis. So where are things going? What does the Bible tell us to look for or to expect in the future? The Bible says that in the end times, we're going to see sickness and disease, earthquakes and famines, tsunamis and hurricanes, hail and fire that will destroy most of Earth's plant life, some hail reaching up to 100 pounds. Talk about hail. There are going to be meteorites, death of sea life, rivers turning into blood, hardcore global warming, darkness, hardcore drought. The Euphrates River in Iraq is literally going to dry up. The largest earthquake in history will happen. Islands and mountains will be devastated, and eventually the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its life. Meteorites will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Not a whole lot to look forward to. That definitely sounds pretty disastrous. So what should we do about it? Once again, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Times are bad, and they're going to get worse, but I have a security. I need to trust in God, no matter what's going on around me. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 FM and 93.9 FM, right here in Durango, or you can listen online at KDUR.org. Ron Martin is out this week, unfortunately, so all you got is me. But anyway, we're talking about the news this week that Osama bin Laden was killed by U.S. forces, and we mentioned at the beginning that Obviously, there are pros and cons to this. It's very good that justice was administered and that justice has happened. And it's great that this man is not going to be able to kill others or train others to kill others in the future. On the flip side of that coin, though, we realize that it is never something to rejoice in when another human being dies. We should not ever be happy about the death of another human. And so thinking about that news, there is news to rejoice in this week, but also a reason to be sad at the same time. From there, we've begun talking about other issues that are happening in the world and what a Christian worldview or perspective would have on those issues. If you're just tuning in, we are using a lot of scripture because we're kind of discussing these from the perspective of a Christian worldview. If you're a regular listener, you know that we don't hit a whole lot of scripture on a weekly basis. So this is kind of maybe a little deviation from the normal way that the show goes. But jumping right back in, let's talk about the economy. So where is our economy at? Well, the Dow has had one of the biggest drops in history. The unemployment rate right now is right around 10%. And that's not including those that have given up looking or that are underemployed. If you include those, the statistic goes somewhere near 20%. A lot of people don't have jobs. And if you don't have a job out there right now, I want to encourage you. This message is for you. You can have hope even if you are unemployed, even if your bills are piling up and you have nothing to do about it. Numerous banks have failed, including some of the largest in history. Insurance organizations have failed. Home values are plummeting. Some areas have seen home values drop over 20%. I know I just got my assessment from the county in yesterday, and our property value went down a ton in the last year. Foreclosures are at their highest level in history. And there are many other economic indicators that are down, and multiple economists, politicians, and leaders are fearing and predicting a recession at best and a global depression at worst. Economically, things don't look that good right now. The president and Congress have passed hundreds of billions of dollars in bailouts, which so far have done close to nothing, and world leaders are scrambling for answers. No matter how you cut it, we are in debt, and we're going to be in debt for centuries. Things do not look too good economically. 
So where are we going? What does the Bible tell us the economy of the world will look like in the end days? Well, it says it won't look very good at all. It says that there will be famines in various places, terrible poverty. It says that it will take about a day's wages to buy enough bread for one person for a single day. That's not good. So we're not that bad yet, at least in this country. Some countries probably are already there. But things are not looking that great economically, right? So what should we do about it? What should be my perspective? Well, the Bible tells me if, if you're following God and if you love God, the Bible tells you my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, right? And Jesus himself said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry, but seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. So I think the perspective here is don't worry. Trust that God can meet my needs. Seek him first. Share with others. That's huge. You guys, for those of us that have more than we need, we can share with those around us. And we should be sharing more and more and more as time goes on. Finally, when we think about all of our needs and the terrible economy, we need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Once again, that same answer holds true for this issue. So what about morality and society? What's going on in our society? Well, we have crime, we have mass shootings, we have kidnappings, rapes, we have Many, many, many different things happening. Just look at what's happening down in Mexico with the drug war. Sometimes people look at these types of things and they think there is no peace anywhere. Morality is out the window. We're in a society that has rejected God and as a result is seeing some of the worst type of crime and deprivation in the history of the world. Maybe not the worst, but it seems like things have gotten pretty bad. G.K. Chesterton put it this way, You are free in our time to say that God doesn't exist. You are free to say that he exists and is evil, right? You may talk of God as a mystification or a metaphor. You may boil him down with gallons of words or boil him down to the rags of metaphysics. And it is not merely that nobody punishes, but that nobody protests. But if you speak of God as a thing like a tiger, as a reason for changing your conduct, the modern world will stop you if it can. We are long past talking about whether an unbeliever should be punished for being irreverent. It is now thought irreverent to be a believer. He wrote that over 100 years ago. And the point being, when we remove all standards from our society, all objective standards of morality, and that is what we have done by removing God from our society, the result is a society where people have no standards. And if there are no standards, then who are you to tell me not to do X, Y, or Z? The result is people do those things even though their conscience tells them it's wrong. But they do those because society has told them there is no God. You can do whatever you feel like doing. In fact, people put it that way. Do whatever your heart tells you to do. I'm sure each one of you have heard that said before. The point is, some people following their heart have raped and murdered their brothers, sisters, and neighbors. When I follow the inclinations of my heart or whatever desire happens to cross my mind really disastrous things can happen and just like gk chesterton said when we remove god from society there are consequences to be paid so what's the answer we've talked about this before i really do think the answer is jesus coming into a person's life and changing us from the inside out changing me from a selfish person to somebody that puts others first and i'm not there yet but I can tell you with certainty that the longer that Christ is in my life, he's changing me to love my neighbors, to love my brothers, to love my sisters, to love those around me. 
even when I disagree with them, even when we have huge differences, but to be able to love in spite of those differences and to be able to love beyond those simple differences that would pull us apart. Now, if that's the answer, and I believe it is, what's going on around the world? Is Jesus reaching people around the world and are people coming to know him as the answer for life? Listen to some of these statistics. In South America, every single day, 34,000 people put their trust in Jesus Christ. In China, every single day, somewhere between 28 and 37,000 people put their trust in Christ. In Africa, every single day, 25,000 people put their trust in Christ. And even in the Muslim world, where this news event happened this week, there are numerous people putting their trust in Christ on a daily basis. In fact, about 16,000 people a day are becoming Christians in what has traditionally been called the Muslim world. Now, as we think about those stats, I think it's important to realize that around the world, people are coming to the conclusion that the mess around me, the uncertainty around me, the violence around me is crazy and there are no other answers other than Jesus and they're turning to him back here in our country in the United States uh, we're going the opposite direction every year the number of believers seems to be decreasing in this country and I think people have become so focused on ourselves that we're losing sight of the answer to all that we're in the middle of in fact this is kind of a scary statistic but George Barna says that 80% of believers feel like they've never connected with God, and most don't share their faith. Only 9% of born-again Christian adults have a Christian worldview. So even in a country where we have traditionally known what the Bible says, we're not living it. We're actually being hypocrites, and nobody likes hypocrites. And because of our hypocrisy, a lot of, the, a lot of those around us are not seeing the answer. So where are things going? Gosh, things seem to be getting worse and worse. But what I want to encourage you with today is that we can still have hope in the middle of it, right? I can trust in the Lord with all my heart. That's what scripture keeps on telling me to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So keep these world issues in perspective. Hunger, war, poverty, homelessness, you name it, whatever the tragic things going on around you today, when you turn on the news, whatever causes you anxiety, whatever causes you to fear, those things, guys, are all in his hands. We talked a few weeks ago about the tragedy in Japan and the traditional problem of pain that philosophers discuss, and we talked about the answer to that problem of pain, which is simply that God is working in the midst of our pain to draw us back to himself. It's not that he causes these painful situations. It's not that he necessarily creates all the destruction that you see around you, but rather he allows some of these things to happen in a world that has turned its back on him. So whether those things are a result of our own free will and sin, or whether they're, or whether they're the result of a fallen world that also coincidentally resulted from our sin, a lot of bad things are happening. Now, in the midst of those bad things, our loving God is reaching out his hand, saying, I desire a relationship with you. And to everyone that says, I don't have any kind of security at all, he's saying, I desire to give you that security. In fact, Jesus himself said, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, if you feel like you're burdened, if you feel like you're worried, 
you feel like you're stressed and anxious, Jesus says, come to me because my yoke is, is easy and my burden is light. And he desires to relieve us of that pressure. So I want to encourage you, be committed to helping the people around you and to doing your part. Do not fear. Read Psalm 91 for a great perspective on the issue of fear and the reality that God holds you in your hand. Have a big picture perspective on this world. This world is not our destiny. This is not the ending point. We have an eternity to look forward to in heaven, and that puts any pain and suffering that we have on this planet in a whole lot of perspective. As far as the political scene, I would encourage you, no matter what perspective you're coming from, vote your conscience, vote your values. But remember, the election in 2012 is not going to solve all the world's problems. So I need something more than just politicians. I encourage you to walk by faith and live with hope. Love God and love others actively. Do anything you can to help the people around you and to love them. Luke 21 tells us to watch and pray. As times get worse and worse and worse, I need to watch and pray. And then 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be people of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. What a great perspective. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And whatever you do, do it all in love. And so... For the person that's out there thinking, I am terrified by what's going on in the world around me, and it brings a lot of fear to me, I want to encourage you with the answer and the solution to that fear, and that is Jesus. The Bible tells you that Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. His thoughts for you outnumber the sand of the seas. That's phenomenal. He thinks about you constantly throughout every day. He knows every detail of your life. He is not an absent God that's out there, but rather he is a personal God that desires a real and personal relationship with you right this very moment. The problem is my sin and selfishness separate me from his love. That's an unfortunate reality. Sin, selfishness, those things are the root cause of all the evil and all the pain that we've been talking about today. Pretty much every news story you're going to see somehow goes back to selfishness and sin. And just like that selfishness and sin separates friendships today, it also separates me from the relationship that God intends to have with me. My sin makes me imperfect, and it separates me from a perfect God. Fortunately, Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and he rose again. It's what we celebrated a couple weeks ago, so that each one of us could have a relationship with God. When he died on that cross, he paid for all my sins. He took those on himself, and he made a way for me to have a relationship with a perfect God. Now, any one of us that chooses to put our faith in Christ, the Bible tells us at that very moment we're made his children, and that we come into the relationship that he created us to be in with him, with God himself. In that relationship, I have security and I have peace no matter what's going on in the chaotic world around me. That's some good news. That also kind of puts some of the bad news in perspective. If you'd like to explore more, I'd encourage you to visit First Baptist this morning. First Baptist is a great church, and I'm sure Jeff and Gary and Nate and all the guys down there would love to see you. They meet on 3rd Avenue, 
and they meet at 1045. So give First Baptist a try today. Stop by. They're not going to judge you. They're going to accept you for who you are. They're going to love you as you are, and it'll be a safe place where you can kind of investigate more and learn more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ I hope you enjoyed this episode of The God Solution. We talked about a lot of crazy issues that are in the news and how it's going to get a lot crazier as we go forward in time. And the fact that we can have security, no matter how crazy it gets, in a relationship with Christ, we have real security and real peace that the world cannot match. Jesus actually put it this way. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Please tune in next Sunday at 8.30 a.m. right here on KDR and listen to the show. You really don't want to miss the next couple weeks. We're actually going to spend a few weeks talking about the reliability and trustworthiness of the Bible. We're going to talk about Bart Ehrman and some of his crazy claims against the Bible. And then we're also going to take some time to really evaluate the Bible based on the historical evidence. It'll be a great few weeks, and I really hope you'll tune in to hear a lot more. Please visit eternityimpact.blogspot.com. Again, that's eternityimpact.blogspot.com to leave us any comments or questions you'd like to share. And we'd love to get to those on the air, too, if we can get a chance. So let us know what you think. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm thrilled you listened today. I hope you have a great afternoon. Have a-